0: Um, But the prayer has been really, really good. And so as I was praying uh, this past Wednesday, um, I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart. And I feel like he said, we need to take one Wednesday out of this month and go walk promised Manor and pray through it. I know we had the time change coming in November, so we can't do a lot of these. Um, But I felt like the Lord said, let's go there, let's just pray, not to uh, knock on doors. But if people do come out, maybe we we'll see if we can engage them on some level. But just begin to pray, um, just really pray prophetically over that neighborhood. Who knows what it could be? I mean, you don't know what is going, you know, that's a nice neighborhood. It's not Mountain Brook, but it's not it's not the dumps. But, you, you know, just because it looks good doesn't mean there's, there's not issues going on in houses there. And, um so we'll probably look at maybe either the uh, September the 18th or the 11th and we'll know that this week for sure, but just want to put it out, you know, put it out for you guys. I would love to have you join us because, um, again, prayer is like really crucial to what we're, we're doing here. Um, it's, it really is really, really important. So I just want to put it out there. Also, I know Ken said we're going to do an offering the last Sunday of the month either the last Sunday of this month or the first Sunday of October, we're probably going to go to the Kimberley Park and have like a family day there. Grill out hamburgers, hot dogs, just hang out um, and do that. So we'll figure that out as well. Hopefully we can get Kimberley, not have to go to Garndale, play a little pickleball, play some basketball because, you know, we're all in out of shape. We need to get back in shape and have fun. So anyway, Alright, guys. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to um, Mark chapter five this morning. And I'm going to use the whiteboard. I think just so I can feel like a so I can feel special today. Don't laugh at my handwriting. Special. special. I tend to write with a slant when I write stuff, so you know it is what it is. And uh, feel free to make comments this morning. I know we had a small, cr- well, we always have a small crowd. <laughs> we have a smaller crowd today, which is okay, it's no biggie. Um, but I want to, I want to look at this story in March five. Um, Lee, Lee called me Thursday and just really encouraged me some things. And um, one of the things I've really been talking a good bit about this year was just the importance of uh, personal devotion. Just living that lifestyle of personal devotion. You know, I preached the end of July here before Admiral about Martha and Mary. And I contrasted their life. Martha the server, Mary the one who's at the feet of Jesus. And in that story, Martha is upset that Mary is not helping out with the chores of the house. And Jesus makes a comment to Mary or to Martha, and he says, one thing is necessary. And I think we have to understand this. Is that at the end of the day, one thing is necessary. It's not an outreach. It's not prayer meetings. It's not prophetic meetings. It's being a people who choose his feet. Because if I, if I capture his heart in private, then I will manifest his heart in public. So I don't have to have a big vision. I think, I think one of the challenges, um, if I can speak freely, is people want vision. And here's the vision of the house. We're going to do what he does, and we're going to say what he says. We could write it a five-year vision, a 10-year vision, a 20-year vision. Nothing wrong with that. But if we just want to posture our heart in, in, in devotion before him as a people, then we'll move when he moves, and we'll speak when he speaks. And that will avoid a lot of headaches and heartaches of like, well, why didn't this work out? Maybe things don't work out because what you did wasn't what he wanted you to do. Maybe it was an Ishmael and it wasn't the Isaac. So I really want to do that. So I knew uh, Mark speaking next Sunday and Lee speaking the following Sunday, and I think Lee, if I'm not mistaken, is going to really pick up on that lifestyle. But today, before and I, and I say I say this, slow down, Paul, slow down. I say that to say this. Before Lee called me, I've really been chewing on this thought about um, developing a correct belief system. And when Lee called me Thursday, it was almost like confirmation, like, yes, deliver this word. Because here's the thing. If we don't understand how God views us, then we won't pursue correctly. We won't even pursue. If, If our belief system is not biblical in the sense of how it should be, and we don't understand God's nature toward us, that God is for us and he's not against us, then that really can hinder how deep we go in our walk with God. Does that make sense? So I I really want to, really, really, I want to talk about the importance of just a biblical belief system, this one. Okay, guys? So I want to start in Mark 5. I want to read a familiar passage. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this passage But as a scripture, I want to just point out to us. uh, If we'll pick up in verse 24 of Mark 5, the Bible says this. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had done much at the hands of many physicians and and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. Key verse right here. For she thought, for she thought, for she thought. This is her belief system. For she thought, if I just touch his garment, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. Let's just stop there. This woman has a belief system that caused her to touch Jesus. So here's what we want to this morning. How are belief systems? Now, let's don't think spiritual. Let's just think just general. How are belief systems formed? how are belief systems formed or developed? How are they? Question. Okay. You're so smart. I believe that life, belief systems come out of one thing. They come out of life experience. Life experience forms, see, I told you I I can't write good. Forms belief systems, but now let's break that down. What what does that mean? Life experience. What is that? Somebody. What is that? Okay. Observation. Let's write this down. Let's look. Observation. All right. What else? See, I think parents is a good one. Uh, What else? I've got a whole list I've wrote down in my notes. I'm asking you because I want to get you involved. Siblings. Hang anyway, guys. I got one hand. <laughs> schools. Uh, sibling schools. What else did you say? Okay. Uh, what else? How about financial status? You should just put money. <laughs> What else? Work. Oh, church is, a, church is a good one. Church. Work. What else? Come on. Think of your life. Your, your life today is what it is because of what all you've endured in your life. So what in your life molded you? Into the person you are. That's not up here. And, I mean, this is a good enough. We can start with this, but is there anything else we can add to this list? Children. Children. Chitlins. Children. <laughs> Black church. Heritage. 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 Coaches. Oh, that's a good one, Mark. <laughs> Smoky. Uh, Just say heritage. Let's just put heritage. Oh, another great part. Geography. I mean, let's just stop here at this one. If you're from the South in the 60s, you're racist. If you're in California, you're a free-loving hippie. All, All these things, guys in the natural sense, form our belief system. Now, you can even take these, though, and even these, you can actually break them down. For example, parents. Was mom and dad both there? Was mom gone and dead there? Was dad gone and mom, vice versa? Or were both parents good? Or were both parents at each other's throat? There are so many things here that if we actually looked at them, and I don't want to dissect this, but I want to show you how that in every life you believe what you believe today is just in general because of a lot of this stuff right here. In other words, this, this almost forms the paradigm or the lens in which you view life from. Now, you wear glasses. Now let's say that I was to take Kim's glasses and I was to look through her lens. While that helps Kim see correctly, it would actually affect my vision. So we all have these paradigms or these lenses that we view life from. And even when we come to the kingdom, a lot of times this stuff here Still affects how we operate in the kingdom. Damon Thompson made a really good point on his one of his latest podcasts. Damon was talking about being double-minded, and Damon made this statement, and it was really really good. He said, you know, most times we think of double-mindedness as being fifty percent kingdom, fifty percent secular. He goes, double-mindedness is actually ninety-five percent kingdom and five percent secular. So we can have these grids, if you will, that one, they may not affect us. Like they once did. they still cause us to not fully embrace the life we've been invited to live into in God. Make sense? So this is why Paul is so big on encounter and experiences. Because if life experience can shape this life, what happens when I encounter God at the same level? Then, just as these things right here form my makeup, how I view things, how I do things, I believe in the same way, the more I give myself to God in personal devotion, the more He begins to alter and to rearrange my grip or how I see things. Make sense? He really does want this. He really wants us to see from His reality. There's an old saying that goes like this Perception is reality. And it is true to an extent. How you perceive things determines how you respond to things. For example, a great example would be this. Young child is molested at a young age. She's abused at a young age. She's sexually abused. She's physically abused. She's emotionally abused. As she grows older in life, the abuse continues by another man and another man and another man. That view of man, if she doesn't deal with it, can cause her to have the perfect man in her life who would actually love her for her, never hurt her, can cause her to view him as a one who would hurt her. Make sense? So that's why we want to deal with these paradigms. And so here's the thought we just said. Perception is reality. That I don't believe that, really. I believe what God wants is that his reality becomes our perception. And in other words, instead of me seeing life through my lens, through observation, through parents, through siblings, oh, my God, I... One of the things, I actually showed this, I think a few years ago, after, I think I actually showed us here. I had, I took myself through deliverance one time from a lie. And the lie the Lord showed me was this, was that your voice has no value. Came back from VOA, was dealing with Lee and with Abner. Came back on a win census in 2013. This is before we'd done the remodel here. And I remember I came here tonight, and I was broken. And I laid on that stage, and God for the next 45 minutes took me through deliverance. And this slide says, your voice has no... You know, as a preacher, you kind of need your voice. It's, you know, I can't sign. And when you think your voice has no value, then you actually hold things back. I I would find when I would get in rooms with people, um, people that may have had a bigger stage than I did, which I, I didn't have a stage then, I only have one now, I would tend to shut down because I didn't think my voice could um, bring the same honor or value that their voice did. And so the Lord took me through this deliverance. And he took me back to this time when uh, my parents bought me my uh, Super Nintendo, or my first Nintendo, playing Mario Brothers. Oh, young know you play that game as well. One day my sister and I are playing Mario Brothers, and I'm talking to my sister. And when, I, when, I, when I'm talking, her character dies. And she goes, I hate your voice. Your voice kills me. What happened? The enemy came in at a very young age and began to put a lie in my head that says, your voice doesn't have any value to it. You know, we hear the, the old saying, stits and stones and bones, my most, but names will never hurt me. That's the biggest on the book. Names will kill you. Names will destroy you. And so... Mario Brothers with my sister became a way the enemy formed into me. A lot, says your voice has no value. Now, I could go through this list, school, money, church, work. All this in here has affected all of us at some level. It really has. The question is, are you going to deal with it or not? Am I willing to deal with it? And so here's here's the thorough, guys. Life experience will initially from the paradigm and life experience initially from the paradigm. the question is this, so will you allow it to continue to, will you allow it to continue to have influence in your life see now i decide do i allow my history to determine how i see things now at some point we have to stop playing the victim <sighs> Like i hear people now i mean mid, mid-40s when I was 16, my mommy made me do Dude, grow up. Take responsibility. You know, it goes back to the old adage of Adam and Eve in the garden. After Adam and Eve fall and they eat of the tree, and God comes in the garden, God comes to Adam, and Adam blames God. God, that woman you gave me. God comes to Eve. God is that serpent. We are so good at shifting blame on others because we refuse to take personal responsibility for ourselves. I'm not saying people don't hurt us, but at some point you have to get over what they did to you and move on with your life and quit being the prisoner of what happened in your past. Don't let your past define you no longer. And yet for so many in the body, we let the past define us. Should be that way. So here's this woman. Here's this woman who, who hears of Jesus. Now, this is amazing. She has suffered this issue for 12 years. She's had a flow of blood. And according to Leviticus 15, after a woman's menstrual cycle ended, yeah, how do you go? How do you go to Leviticus? Yes, Leviticus. It's a great book. After a woman's cycle ended, she was to like wait seven days until her cycle ended or dried up before she could even come out of the house. Well, this woman says, forget that. She comes out of the house. Now, this is really interesting because one, the scripture does not say this, most people teach and believe that this woman could have been stoned for what she did. Why? Because when a person was unclean in the Old Covenant, when they went out and they touched a priest, the priest became unclean. Anything that person touched when it was clean became unclean. So this woman, in essence, as she goes out, is making people unclean. But something inside here says, you know what, I've got to go beyond this. So she breaks the law. And so here's the thought I'm going to give you guys. The first one is this, is that belief systems can either empower you to move in faith or stay bound in fear. They can empower you to move in faith or stay bound in fear. And so her belief system said, I'm, I've got to get healed. I've got to go to Christ. He's the only one who can heal me. So she, she, in essence, is taking her own life in her hands. I mean, you think about how serious this is. She could have been stoned because the Pharisees had added to the, to the law of and 13 other commandments. That was never God ordained. And one of them was like stoning To me, that shows you the power of a belief system, that you're willing to take your life into your own hands because you want to be free. That's what she does here. So what happens? Her belief system calls Christ to respond to her. I love this part of the story. People are touching Jesus, and he's just walking by like it's nothing. This woman touches Jesus, and and he's like, whoa, somebody just touched me. And And I think about this, just different sermon altogether, but what would it be like to have a touch that actually caught the attention of Jesus? And Peter's like, dude, Jesus, they're touching you. He's like, no, this woman touched me with faith. See, power is attracted to faith. These people just touched because I think they were enamored. It's Jesus, let's just, you know, that. you know what, guys, that's really the church today. We are so enamored by the stars of the church. This woman actually has a real need. She has really So she's going through this crowd, and she touches him in such a way that he actually stops. You know, here's the thing. He's going to the house of Jairus. Jairus has just came to Jesus. My daughter is dying. Would you come? He's walking with Jairus, and then he gets stopped. And he takes his focus of Jairus and puts on this woman now. I mean, what would it be like to have such a a touch that when you reach out and touch him, he responds to you? I mean, that's that's listen I understand this by the Spirit. He, God's all in one you know he can but just, just to think your, your touch stopped the son of God I'm like whoa God I need to get saved again it's just it, 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 ooh. so look at this for faith is measured by response we're going to move on with this in a minute but listen about this again about belief systems Because ultimately, Paul says this. Paul says, I believe, therefore I speak. Paul's belief system is what enabled him to speak what he spoke. And guys, it's easy to say, well, I believe, I believe, I believe. Okay, do you really believe? I I love the example of the skydiver. A skydiver goes up on that plane, grabs his parachute, Flies ten thousand feet up in the air, puts on a, a parachute, and he believes that parachute will somehow open with him when he jumps out of the plane. He's an idiot. He's just dumb. I'm sorry if you I'm just. Planes were meant to you, you, take off the land, not jumping out. That's just. It's just dumb. He believes. He believes, but his faith isn't proven to jumps out of the plane. It's easy to say I believe. The, the moment you jump out is when you know you have faith. And this woman could say, I believe he, he can heal me, but her faith caused her to leave seclusion and come into a place where she could have been stoned because she wanted the healing. See, when we have a real, correct belief system, it will enable us to walk out of man's restrictions, the thing that man has to impose on us, and step into God's fullness for our life, even though it may cost us ridicule, this, this, or that or even life itself. So, with that as the backdrop, something about Israel now. Israel was this amazing nation that God raised up. Joseph goes down to Egypt. And Joseph becomes a ruler of Egypt. Joseph's brothers come to Egypt because of the famine in the land. Pharaoh and Joseph have a great relationship. And then Pharaoh dies. Another Pharaoh comes on the scene who doesn't know Joseph or his family. And the Jews become the slaves of the Egyptians. And now for 400 years, uh, Egypt or Israel lives as slaves in Egypt. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 4. He says, therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. So these people bound for 400 years finally found freedom only to die in their wilderness. Because when they had a promise from God, they didn't Put that promise with faith, and they died. Now, let's talk about their paradigm. While in Egypt, they endured the rigor of what was known as a taskmaster. A taskmaster uh, is an interesting word. It comes from two words in the, in the Hebrew. The first word means a head person that has rule or dominion. The second word means to burden or to faint with fear, with fatigue, fear, or grief. So A taskmaster was a person with a man who would inflict upon you uh, fatigue, fear, or grief. For 400 years, Israel lived under the harsh rulership of taskmasters. Even though they saw God do miracles, remember the ten plagues in Egypt? Three days, Egypt does not have light. Israel does. God kills all the cattle of Egypt. All the cattle of Israel lives. God kills the firstborn of the Egyptians. All oh, the firstborn of Israel lives. They saw the power of God in Egypt, but they saw so much affliction of Egypt themselves that their view of God becomes skewed. So much to the point that when they leave Egypt to go to the Promised Land, what was an 11-day journey became a 40-year wandering in the wilderness. And in that journey, now I'm, I, I don't know if my math is correct, but if my timeline is correct, within 60 days of leaving Egypt, they're already wanting to go back into Egypt. And they will make this comment to God. God, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? They thought God was bringing them out to die. When God says, I'm bringing you out to the wilderness to hold a feast unto me. See, the, see, here's, I'm going to get on this one for a minute. <laughs> We think the wilderness is a negative place, and it's not. God was going to bring them out to hold a feast unto him. That was the whole point of going to the wilderness to worship God. It wasn't because you was, came out of dress and sets. That's, that's bad context. That's, that's, inc- that's not biblical. I, 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 I want to just slap people. I'm not the wilderness. Okay, your context of the wilderness is wrong. Let me just set it straight. So they wonder and they wonder and they wonder. Time and again, God, why did you deliver and say, why did you do this, God? Why did you do this, God? And so we know the story that God sends in spies. It's about the land of the promised land. He sends in 12 spies. They spy the land out for 40 days. They reject the land. They say, God, we can't do it. There's giants. We can't do it. And so God says, for each day you you spied one year of wandering the desert. But something amazing happens along the way. While they wander in the desert, a new generation is born in the wilderness. And this new generation doesn't know anything about Egypt. All they know is God's provision. And yes, who goes in the promised land? That generation goes in. Twenty and under go in. Those born in the wilderness who had never tasted Egypt had not been bound by Egypt, had not had their, their vision um, skewed by Egypt because of a people that inherits the promise. So we need to allow, allow God to rewrite our history, so to speak, that the thing that holds us back from entering the promise is removed so we actually step into promise. Does that make sense? Okay. So, I'm almost done, guys. I know we got to cook out tomorrow because we got to eat hamburgers and got to get our hamburger meat ready. Familiar Scripture, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may approve what is the will of God that is good, acceptable, and perfect. So let's look at this. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is where we get the word metamorphosis from. It's metamorpho. Now, how many of you ever saw the movie The Matrix? How many of you actually understood the movie The Matrix? I didn't. One time, one time to me. But there's a scene in The Matrix I love to watch. And it's the fight scene with Morpheus and Neo. And in the fight scene, Neo is learning karate. He's trying to, Morpheus is trying to free the mind of Neo. Because Neo has no limitation. And as we're fighting in this, this fight scene, Neo says, I know what you're trying to do. And Morpheus says, I know, I'm trying to free your mind. I'm trying to get you free of limitation." That's what Paul's saying here is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, we limit ourselves because of how we think. That's why Paul writes in Colossians 3. We sang it a while ago. Colossians 3, set your mind on things above. Be transformed. And the picture there is the caterpillar. The caterpillar who's that, that ugly, ugly bug goes through this four-stage process become this beautiful butterfly and so here's the thought I want want to leave you not leave you with but think about this the butterfly doesn't just change in appearance but function the caterpillar doesn't fly the butterfly does the caterpillar is ugly butterfly is beautiful so, not does it change in the appearance, but it actually its function. And when we actually change how we think, when we actually get God's belief system, it, I, think, I believe it actually causes us to actually step in our God given assignment and function. So, when Paul says, I believe this is my, I, I could be dead wrong here, but Paul rebukes the Corinthians for being carnal and says, Are you not acting like mere men? Are you not acting like mere men? Now, they are men. But to me, that says, hmm. There's something more deep we can go into with that, guys. Okay, am I rambling? Okay. All uh, right, let's just skip ahead, kind of We're almost done. So let's just finish up here with Luke 1. Luke 1. Uh, let's pick up reading and... Um, Pick up the reading verse 5. Just a little, a little passage I want to read, but maybe put it in some context. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now, it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the customs of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside of the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, "Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear your son, and you will give him the name John. And he will you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord." ESPN is going off, and he would drink no wine or liquor, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit yet while he is in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner. Uh, before him, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back, to the kids and the disobedient to the attitude of the church, of the righteous. So as to make ready a people, prepare for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, "How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years." The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And now behold, you will be silent and unable to speak unto the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in the proper time. So let's just stop and let's skip over now to verse 26. Because I want to contrast these two stories and we'll be going home. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel went from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, stable one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement, and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and his name uh, will be called Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and the, his kingdom will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can it since so I am a virgin, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and for that you, will, for that reason the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has already conceived a son in her age and she who was called barren is now her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible for God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be to me according to the word. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Right quick. It's the same story. It's the exact same story. Those like can rise. Those of Elizabeth. They want a child. They can't have a child. How will this be? Here's Mary. She's a virgin. You can't have a child. How will this be? Zacharias is shut up by the angel because he doesn't believe. Mary isn't. Why is that? I want to suggest that Zacharias asks an illegal question. What do you mean, Paul? Okay. Now, listen. Belief systems are formed by two ways the Word of God, the Word of the Lord. They ask the same question, they both have the Word of the Lord. But for Zechariah, he asked the question, I'm old and my wife is barren. What he should have rested on was the scripture. Because he has the historical recording of Abraham and Sarah, who was old and she was barren. Instead of asking God, how will this be? Because my wife is old. He should have said, you know what? If God did it for Abraham, he did it for Sarah, then God can do it for me. So I would suggest that he ask any legal question. That's why we need the word in us. So when God brings a, a word to us, we can actually say, okay, that's how God's going to do it. But now Mary's different. Mary's a virgin. There's nowhere in scripture where a virgin had a baby before. This is why Mary is not brought silent until the baby comes. Because where, where Zechariah is asking out of unbelief, She's asking out of understanding. One question was legal. I don't understand. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. He will be shining to you. Okay, be it unto me according to your word. That's Mary. So I'm ask, I'm old. <laughs> I need some Viagra. My wife is that old. <laughs> we need help, God. What's the point, Paul, is this? The point is this. Is that if we're going to get a biblical belief system in us, we need to really be a student of the Word. I, I, I struggle with churches who just say, "Let's just worship today. We're going to just worship." I don't have an issue with that happening at times, with the Holy Spirit takes over. I believe the Word is very important, so much so that Psalms one thirty eight says, "God honors His Word above His name." We need the preaching and the teaching of the Word. Why to begin to develop a belief system that is actually a correct biblical belief system, but at the same time we can't be so locked in that where if I can't find it in Scripture, it must not be God. You know what I'm saying? Because I know you know you deal with some people well, I just can't find Scripture to support it. There are many things that Jesus did that if everything was wrote down in the world, cannot contain the butts. That's that's a metaphor. But Jesus is so many things that's not recorded in Scripture. So we can't, we can't live that says, well, if I can't find it, it mustn't be God. Listen, that's why we need the Word of God and the Word of the Lord. Because the word of the Lord will always in li- be in line with the Word of God. That's how like, just this this right quick. That's how we that's how we judge prophecy. One way. Does it, does it line up with Scripture? Hey. Uh, Diane, uh, the Lord says, do this, do this, do this. Okay, does it line up with Scripture? Yes, it does. You know, we get the Word in us, we feed on the Word, and we allow the Word to change our belief system. We ingest, you know, one of the things the Lord spoke to me about a year or so ago, and I've really, I really been trying to do this a lot, is this He said, He said, Hear the Word, read the Word, confess the Word, manifest the Word. Hear the word, read the word, confess the word, and you'll manifest the word. And what's going to actually begin to break down these things right here that has crippled, has challenged us, that has kept us living in unbelief is when we get this word in us. Again, I believe, therefore I speak. Paul says the word is in your your mouth, it's in your heart. Let's get the word in our mouth and in our heart. And when we get the word in our mouth and our heart, we'll actually have a congruent speech. Because honestly, guys, most people in the body don't have congruent speech. We say one thing, we live into something else. I'll in accountability, but I don't submit to my pastor. That's being incongruent. I'll believe that God wants to bless me financially, but I don't give. That's being incongruent. I'll believe that God wants to heal, but I don't pay for the sick. That's being incongruent. Let's get the word in us both ways.